Okay, uh, so today I'm very, very excited to be here. We are continuing our series uh, called Fear Not. And I'm going to put Luke to the test as I wander back and forth on this stage this, this morning. Uh, and, and so the, <laughs> now I got to get back to my notes. All right, so in the, in the midst of chaotic times, it is just human nature for us to want to reach out and try to grab onto something that is stable. Right? We, we think about uh, maybe a, a man in, in a swimming pool, right? and he's drowning, he's flailing about just trying to keep his head above water, trying to, to, to grab onto something that is stable enough that he can save himself. Right? And, and maybe uh, he gets lucky and grabs onto another swimmer. Well, bad news, uh, most likely what's going to happen is they're both going to go down as the, the other thing that seems stable gets caught up with, with the drowning man and they both go down. Right? That's why lifeguards come from the back to, to save drowning people so as not to get tangled up with them. What really needs to happen for the, the drowning person is that they need to relax. Because our, our bodies naturally float, right? And so if he's drowning, he, he can save himself by relaxing and floating. It keeps the head above water enough to breathe until the, the lifeguard can come and pull them into safety. I believe we are in difficult times. We're called to relax, to fear not. Years ago, I went whitewater rafting with a group of men from New Day Community Church, and, and it was probably 10 or 12 years ago, we went to the New River in uh, West Virginia. And during our orientation, most of us, maybe all of us, had never gone whitewater rafting before. And in the orientation, they warned us uh, about this feature on the river called the meat grinder. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound good, right? And so they're like, hey, if you fall into the meat grinder, don't worry. It's super dangerous, but this is what you should do. Just don't try to fight the current. Don't try to, 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 to swim upstream. Just go with it. You're going to get knocked around. You're going to get pulled underwater. You're going to get slammed into some rocks, but it's going to spit you out, right? And the, 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 the boat person, whoever, the, the guide, is going to pick you up and pull you right back into the boat, and we're just like, oh my goodness, that sounds uh, a little bit scary, right? It, it goes against our nature. But guys, we're in chaotic times right now. We want to, to reach out and, and grab something that feels stable. We want to fight against the current. But all too often, we're actually grabbing onto something that feels stable but is actually unable to save us. We are looking for something to put our hope in. But hope in anything less than Jesus is just a temporary, is just an unstable solution. And putting our hope in anything other than Jesus is idolatry. And today I want to encourage us not to try to, to grasp onto anything that isn't Jesus. To remind us, right? Now, I'm not going to say anything revolutionary today. Well, it might be revolutionary, but it's not new. 
<laughs> if you've been around for a while, right? I'm, I'm encouraging you to remember that there is nothing but Jesus who is our eternal hope. Other things might seem more real. Our bank account often seems more real because we can see it. Right? Uh, maybe our, our boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse seems more real because we can see them and touch them and listen to them and talk to them. Well, we can listen and talk to Jesus too, but there's that, we're missing that physicality, right? It seems so stable. We might want to put our, our hope in this political party or that political party. We might want to put our hope in this social movement or that social movement, this ideology or that ideology, but anything that isn't fully Jesus, with Jesus at the top, is unstable and is idolatry. But as Christ followers, I really believe that we are to fear not and to relax in him and trust that as we go through the meat grinder, we can trust that Jesus is going to reach down and pick us up and put us back in the boat. He's our hope. So today I want to talk about hope. What is hope? Let's see if I can get this to work on. Boom. Hope is the confident expectation of a positive future. Right? Hope is the, uh, the confident expectation of a positive future. Luke Skywalker was the, the, the galaxy's new hope. If you can think back to that movie, 1977. We've all seen it. We all love it. Uh, and it, Luke Skywalker was, was the new hope because he was the one that was able to get the rebellion, to get the galaxy to their positive future, to overthrow the emperor, to defeat Darth Vader, to, to, to put down this evil empire so that peace could reign in the galaxy. He's the hope. And for Christians, Jesus is the hope. But our hope isn't just that Jesus forgives us our sins and we get to go to heaven when we die. Like, that's great. That is a huge part of it. But that is just, uh, it's just um, cutting off the, how big the gospel is. Right? The Christian hope is that God is actually redeeming the whole world. All of creation, all of the cosmos. The Christian hope is this holistic renewal of all things. And that's exciting because we as individuals get to participate in this awesome new thing that God is doing. We look at Paul's writings in chapter 8 of Romans, and he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's a good one. We could memorize that for this season of life. Oh, I almost fell down. For the creation <laughs> waits. <laughs> it was the Holy Spirit. Uh, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. And here it is. In hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And that chapter has a bunch more great stuff. I encourage you 
to read through Revelations 8 as you ponder the, the greater scope of the gospel. But what we see uh, throughout the, the New Testament, well, throughout the biblical text, is that God is promising this hope of a new heaven and a new earth. He, this, there's this eternal hope of a time and a place where sin and death and corruption are destroyed, where love and peace reign. And often in, in Scripture, it's depicted as this beautiful city right, that we get to participate in, that we are invited to be part of. And the outcome of, of our Christian hope, of, of holding on to this idea that there's something bigger and, and better and incredible waiting for us, are these four things. The outcomes of our hope are praise and thanksgiving and prayer and obedience. As we sit in this not yet world where uh, not everything is perfect yet, Right? We, uh, we recognize our eternal hope and we praise the Lord. Right? We praise you, God, that, that you created an awesome creation. We, we praise you that even though we fell, we rebelled against you, you have chosen us and you have made a way for us to be restored, that we can spend eternity in your presence. We praise you, Lord Jesus. This eternal hope reminds us to live lives of thanksgiving. God, I'm so thankful that you chose me, a sinner, to be part of your new community, to know Jesus, to be, have an intimate relationship with you, that I can talk to you as if face to face. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We, uh, we are reminded because of this eternal hope to pray. When we see segments of our current reality that is not in alignment with the, the reality of the kingdom, we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. There's injustice happening over here, Lord. We pray, let your justice reign. Right? When we see uh, somebody that is struggling with anxiety or fear, we say, Lord Jesus, bring your peace. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And as we recognize this eternal hope that we have this beautiful and glorious destination that we are invited into, we, what other response is there but to obey the King of Kings, to live according to his ways and his characteristics in his kingdom? We can be a, a non-anxious presence in a crazy in chaotic world if we are able to hold on to this eternal hope. People can say, hey, the, the world is falling, right? Everything's crumbling apart, and we'll go, not unexpected. <laughs> but we've, we've got something to look forward to, and even better than that, as we participate in this not-yet-kingdom now, we usher that reality into our community and into our families, into our world. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So what I want to do today is just simply go through the entire chapter of Isaiah 54 yes. and, and, and use this to look at how Isaiah illustrates this future glory of the people of God. 
and it's really, really good. And this is just kind of a primer. I've got to go through it pretty quickly, but I encourage you, maybe even over the next week, maybe even you know, a few times this week, maybe even every day, read through Isaiah 54 for yourself. Because I know that prophetic text can sometimes be a little bit murky, but hopefully this uh, primer will give us some handholds in there and we can, we can read it and we can find the, the encouragement that I feel is really in there for us today. Okay? So Isaiah 54, Isaiah is writing to the people of God. Israel, uh, sometimes called Zion. These, the, the nation of Israel uh, has been in exile for almost 70 years in Babylon, and they don't like it there. Right? They're not in their nation. The temple is gone. There's no king on the throne. They're like, God, what is happening here? This is terrible. Right? And, and, and so Isaiah now is, is prophesying that you know, even though you've been exiled, Right? Even though you guys have been full of sin and idolatry and rebellion, the Lord's eye is on you. And something is about to change. He's bringing you home. He's prophesying of the return of Israel back to the promised land. And what's, what's interesting, I don't have time to, to dig into this, Today is that Isaiah 54 comes right after Isaiah 52 and 53. No, it's crazy. So if you're looking for Isaiah 54, find 53, it's one, the one next. Okay? And, uh, and so Isaiah 52 and 53 is one of Isaiah's three or four songs of the suffering servant that is in Isaiah. And we see that uh, in the, the New Testament, it's revealed that that was prophesying about Jesus our Savior, our Messiah, the, the one who, who died for our sins so that we could be restored uh, in relationship with, with God. By, you know, by his stripes, we are healed. That's where that text comes from. Right? And so it's not something that the Israelites did. It is the goodness and the mercy of, of God and the work of the suffering servant that paves the way for Israel to go back home. And so Isaiah starts in verse 1. He says, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. And as we read this, we immediately think, well, I'm not a barren woman. I'm, I personally am not a barren woman. I'm not, I'm not a woman. I'm not any of these things. You know, I, I did never bear a child, so maybe that fits. Maybe this is me. And we're going, like, how is this about me? Spoiler alert. This isn't about you individually, right? This is written to the people of God, foreshadowing the, 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 the Christian church that as us as Gentiles have been grafted into the, the people of God, right? God is prophesying that I'm going to do something new and awesome and incredible in my people, right? And we have the opportunity to be part of that, to participate in the people of God, in the city of God, right? And so this is our community. Sing, barren woman, you, have new, you who have never born a child, right? And it's this picture of disgrace turned to joy. The barren and 
rejected woman would have been looked down on and, and disgraced and ashamed. They're the, the bottom of, of, of the ladder. But God says, hey, my eye is on you. You think you're overlooked. You think you're forgotten. You, you think the, the gods of, of Babylon have destroyed you and put you under their thumb. Well, no, I'm with you and I'm for you and I am changing the circumstances. Things are changing. And he goes on to explain this. He says to Israel, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Right? We're going to get ours, right? Things are turning around. He's talking about restored Zion, foreshadowing the, the, the new community of Christ. In this new community, it's a place of growth and expansion and peace, all the things that you feel like you're missing right now, you're stepping into something amazing. The Lord was engaged in this disciplinary abandonment, one scholar calls it. Disciplinary abandonment. Got to get your attention, Israel. But Isaiah 54 says, you're no longer abandoned, you're no longer forgotten. You're no longer rejected. The work of Jesus, or in context, the work of the suffering servant has repaired the breach. You're righteous because of his work. He continues, don't be afraid. You'll not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth. And remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. And so Isaiah continues this picture of Israel as a, as a widowed or abandoned wife, but now the husband has returned. And guess who he is? He's the maker. The one who created the very ground that you're standing on, he's the one who's come for you. The one who holds the stars and the sun and the moon in their places, he is the one who's come for you. makes me think of Revelations 19 is when uh, John the Revelator talks uh, about the, the, the marriage celebration of, of the Lamb. And we see the, the bride is prepared and, and ready and adorned uh, or, uh, for, for her bridegroom. Right? And the, the bride is the, is the church, that's us. We get to be part of that and we are waiting longingly for this marriage to the bridegroom, Jesus. The, the lamb who was slain. The one who's come for you to, to bring you out of your difficult situation, bring you out of this oppression, to bring you out of your exile. He is the Lord Almighty. 
the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He's the one who bought you back. Even though maybe you didn't deserve it, you living in rebellion, living uh, in idolatry, right? living in, in sin, choosing to, to run after this thing or that thing, and yet God says, I am your Redeemer. I'm buying you back again through the work of the suffering servant. And he's the God of all the earth. You might think that the the gods of of Babylon have defeated Yahweh, and that's why you're stuck over here in exile. But God's saying, no, 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 that's not it. I am the God of all the earth. And all other powers or principalities or lowercase g gods bow to me. I'm bringing you back. The Lord will call you back as if a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. Deep compassion. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. And so we see here, I I underlined, everlasting kindness are these these two little Hebrew words, gadal chesed. Gadal just means great or large or big or vast, something like that. And chesed is this incredible word. It means, uh, translated kindness here, it, it means loyal love. And it's always a covenant word. Every time chesed is used in the Hebrew Bible, uh, when it's referred to as this attribute or this action of, of God towards the, the people of Israel, it's always in relation to covenant. Hesed is a, a covenant word that carries this idea of steadfastness. It carries this idea of the persistence of, of God's sure love for his covenant people. It's not this whim It's not just, I like you today, we'll see what happens tomorrow, try to stay in my good graces, right? It's this commitment of love for the community of God. It's like this, uh, it's like a it's like a a wedding proposal, right? We we think of that, right? With this ring, I the wed is is an unbreakable commitment. That's what marriage is supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be a picture of of God's um, unfailing, unending covenant commitment of love and compassion for his people. And so Isaiah continues to illustrate this incredible covenant uh, in, in the next passage here. He says this, he says, To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love, my chesed, my loyal love, my covenant faithfulness for you will not be shaken. Nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. 
And if we think back to to Genesis and the the covenant that God made with with Noah, we remember there's the the flood and the ark. God says to Noah, I'm going to build the arky, arky, right? No? (laughs) I've heard that song recently. Um, Yeah, we led it at at Vandalia last last week for worship. Um, uh, (laughs) Okay. Um, so there's this covenant. In Genesis, God makes this covenant with Noah. After the flood, he, he, he lands there, and there's the rainbow, and it's this covenant promise, right? I'm, I'm never going to destroy the earth again with a flood. Right? He promises, uh, and he commits to this perpetuation of the creation. And now, what we see here in Isaiah is that Zion is never going to experience the Lord's angry judgment Again, right? he says that even if the mountains be shaken, right? we remember back to the, the Noah covenant, I'm not going to destroy the world again. But now Isaiah is saying, even if the mountains shake, even if, if all of this that seems so stable and so solid comes crumbling down, my hesed, my covenant loyalty, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. That is a good word for us today, friends. Because it looks right now like the world is shaken. Our world is being shaken. But we don't have to freak out because we are safe and secure in the chesed, the loyal love, the covenant faithfulness of our God. He says, not only that, he says, also, my covenant of peace will never be removed. And this language is used just a few times in the Old Testament, specifically in Ezekiel 34.25 and 37.26, if you want to read that, where Ezekiel is prophesying to Israel about this uh, upcoming, this something he calls the new covenant the covenant of peace that God is going to make with restored Israel. The the covenant of, uh, this word peace can also be uh, uh, translated as soundness or wholeness or completeness, right? This covenant of shalom will never be shaken, this new covenant. And what we know is that this new covenant, Isaiah and Ezekiel and others were looking forward to what Jesus was going to do. Right? We are part of the new covenant because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. As we bend our knee to him, we are brought into this covenant of peace. We are brought into this loyal love that cannot be shaken. He goes on, afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted. Right? And so we've already said that this city is representative of the the people of God, they're, they're in exile. They feel lashed. They feel uncomforted. But here's the promise. I will rebuild you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with lapis lazuli. Does anybody know what lapis lazuli is? No. It's a, it was created by Minecraft. <laughs> and I don't, know what it, I don't know what it is. It's blue? And Molly likes to build castles with it. It's all I know about it. 
Uh, it's great for foundations. We rebuild your, God says, I'm going to rebuild uh, you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with lapis lazuli. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels in all your walls of precious stones. Right? God is going to bedazzle his city. I don't know if you guys are familiar. You can talk to Amber. I'm sure she has a lot of information about bedazzling and how to do it well. Uh, but it was this, this thing, right, where you would somehow, I don't even know what those are. They kind of look like rhinestones or something. But then you would staple them onto your, le- your, your jacket or something and to look beautiful. Right? And so God promises to bedazzle his city, right? Rubies and lapis lazuli and turquoise and all this amazing stuff, right? And that would have been complete foolishness when Isaiah wrote that. Like to, to put all your, your jewels and wealth on the outside of your wall, you're just like flagging your enemies down to come, come on and attack me. Come on, I got good stuff. It's like, it's like if you have a, a bunch of toys in your garage, it's like just putting a list of those on the outside of it in the combination to your door, right? It's like, it makes no sense. But Isaiah is saying, hey, it doesn't matter. We're talking about this future hope, this glorious city, Right when, when it is a place of peace. And this is also about the city. Inside this new city, inside this new hope, all your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace. In righteousness you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near to you. If anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. This is our hope. This is where we're heading. Right? This beautiful city adorned with jewels just to kind of speaks of this opulence and this, uh, the richness and the vastness, the fullness and the goodness of that city in, inside, right, it's revitalized. Children are the disciples. You know, great will be their peace. They're established in righteousness. You know, nothing is going to come against the walls of this city. You have nothing to fear. If I had more time, I would turn to Revelation 21. I encourage you guys to, to do that this week, where, again, John uh, who, who wrote Revelation, has a picture. And I'm wondering, is it the same thing that Isaiah saw hundreds of years before him? This jeweled city, this promise of the new Jerusalem coming to earth where we get to dwell with God face to face. See, it is I who created the blacksmith. And so he's uh, talking about this is, this, is, this is why you don't have to worry about getting attacked. God says, it is I who created the blacksmith, who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. It is I who have created the destroyer to wreak havoc. God's like, I'm sovereign. I'm in control. I'm the one that's directing and guiding nations and leaders. I'm moving everything towards my ultimate purposes. And even the bad stuff, even the broken stuff, I am going to use it for my good. 
God is sovereign. And he says, no weapon forged against you will prevail. You will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. God is sovereign. No weapon formed against us will prevail. We live in a place of, of peace and hope and righteousness. No fear, no sin, no corruption. This is our heritage. This is our inheritance. This is what we have to look forward to. My friends, we have this eternal hope. The, the hope of the restoration of all things, a new heaven and a new earth. The city of God on earth where there is no sin or death or tears or tyranny. We look forward to that, this picture of the city, the, the end of our Christian pilgrimage to be reunited with God in the way things are supposed to be. And so what do we do with this? How, do we, how are we supposed to respond to this? That's a good story, Mark. It seems exciting, but it feels like it's a long way off. Well, I hope that this, uh, that this picture of our eternal hope reminds us that we don't need to fear as we wait for Jesus to show up. We don't need to be swayed by current events of disasters, of wars or rumors of wars. And it's not that those things don't matter. It's not that we turn a blind eye to them and just hunker down and, and kind of run off into the desert and just hope that Jesus comes back quickly. I mean, we could, I guess you could do that. But, like, the, and so this isn't a call to, like, ignore what's, what's going on, but in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the wars and rumors of war and disasters and, and troubles, we hold on to, to hope that Jesus is coming back and he's going to set everything right again. And we are not going to put our hope in anything less than him. So in response to this eternal hope, I encourage you to repent. To repent of anything else that you are putting your hope in. And it's very easy for us to go, well, I'm not, I'm not doing that. But I encourage you, go into your quiet place and go, Lord, this is, this is a trick I've learned, you go, Lord, is there something is there a lie that I'm believing? Would you come in and search my heart? Lord, I know that my heart is deceitfully wicked. And so I might be believing something that's not true. Would you come and show me your truth? And allow him to teach you. Come to the Lord with humility, ready to repent. And as we repent, as we put our hope fully in Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom, as we talked about at the very beginning, we will live lives of praise. We will live lives of thanksgiving. We will live lives of, of prayer. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we will live lives of obedience 
as we participate in God's kingdom, and as we usher his kingdom into our spheres of influence right now. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And we thank you for, your, for, for our eternal hope pictured in this glorious city. Lord, and we thank you that nothing is going to stop you from bringing your people into that place. And Lord, we want to be part of it. We want to participate in this thing that you are doing in this Christ-centered, Christ-formed community. So we bend our knee to you, King Jesus. We say, have your way in us. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would hold fast to this hope knowing that regardless of what is happening in, in our family or in our community, in our state or nation, or even across the globe, help us to hold fast that you are sovereign, that you are in control, that as we participate in your community, we are safe in your hands. Your covenant loyalty is for us. And we rest in that. Help us to see anything else that we are putting our hope in. To turn away from that and to turn to you. To put you on the throne of our lives. Lord Jesus, we love you. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I encourage you guys, read through Psalm 54. If you have any... What? Any, anything, really. <laughs> Also, Isaiah, read through Isaiah 54 and, uh, and just allow that truth to, to seep in, into you and, and begin more and more to, to live that out. All right, with that, you are dismissed. Is there anything else to do? No. We love you. Bless you. Have a great Sunday.